Um, I thought about, I'm talking a little bit about Mark chapter 9, the first few verses that talk about the transfiguration of Christ. It was a passage that I thought I should leave that to someone far more educated, far more knowledgeable. Uh, but, you know, I felt God saying to me, Doug, you need to talk about this, even if it's from your limited view, your limited understanding. That the transfiguration of Jesus is such a powerful message to Peter, James, and John who witnessed it, but it's a powerful message for us of what lies ahead. Called to serve, that's what we are as children of God, called to serve because we are actually destined for glory. And so the songs we sing often remind us of that destiny we have. And that willingness to walk through what God has asked us to walk through in this life. 1 Peter 1, verse, um, roughly verses 3 to 6, it says this. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. And I trust that as children of God, you actually believe that with all your heart. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, it's pure, it's undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through our faith, God is protecting us by his power until we receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. And then it says, even though we have to endure many trials for a little while. Some of us would say, thankfully God has not thrown a lot of trials in my life at this time. I'm living at this time a life that's full of good things. But there are many people, even in the small church of Creekside, who would say, God, I understand you are walking, you are asking me to walk through a trial right now. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4 since we have been raised to new life with Christ, set our sights on the realities of heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought carefully about that, about how you do that. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. Again, I'll ask the question, how do you do that? Not the things on earth. For we died to this life, and our real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed to the whole world, we will share in his glory. Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26. Moses shows up in this New Testament passage, and it's, I think timely because Moses also shows up in the transfiguration of Jesus. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt why? Because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
As I read these passages, I find myself asking the question, what does it mean to set our minds on something that, at best, we can only imagine? Set your sights on heaven, while heaven is, to me, indescribable. And yet the Bible says, Doug, fix your mind on things above. And then Jesus talks about a mindset that that which lies ahead should call us to be willing to walk by faith, to be willing to walk and live as servants of God, servants of one another, in a way to forsake the glory of this world, whatever that might look like, in order to taste the glory that awaits us. So I believe we are called to serve, we are called to follow, we are called to obey, we are called to love one another because we are destined for glory. In Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and even in Mark chapter 10 that we'll look at a bit next week, Jesus talks about life in his kingdom. And he uses words and phrases like self-denial, being a servant, of the last being first, of losing your life in order to find it. And Paul, throughout the New Testament, when he writes his letters to various churches, he continues that same theme, that we, as children of God, should put the interests of others before our own. We should serve one another. We should spur each other on to love and good deeds. In terms of our own faith, he calls us to persevere. He calls us to run the race. That this is the life to which we have been called. And he challenges us to live that way because we are destined for glory. I didn't want to turn the page on Mark chapter 9 without pausing at the transfiguration of Jesus. And I don't want to overanalyze this passage. I don't even want to pretend that I fully understand it. Wikipedia would say transfiguration is a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. And I thought, wow, that sounds like a pretty good definition of what likely happened. Peter, James, and John were given a glimpse into the divine. Peter, James, and John were given a glimpse into the mysteries of God, you might even say into glory, when Jesus invited him to come up the mountain with him. As I read that passage, he did not say to the disciples, come up to the mountain because I'm going to show you something amazing. Jesus said, come up on the mountain to be alone and to pray. And in that context, God reveals himself in an amazing and an indescribable way, and he gives them, I believe, a glimpse into that which is eternal. Here's the passage. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. 
And I think it's in the Luke uh, version that talks about to be alone and to pray. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful us to, for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, and this probably is the great thing for us to grab onto, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. There is a mystery, there is a power, and there is a glory to this event that I think should give us spiritual goosebumps. Because as I read this, I thought this is a glimpse into the resurrection power of our God. Peter references this event when he wrote 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 18. And he's encouraging the church in this letter to be steadfast in their faith. Don't give up. Persevere. And he says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. And the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then he says, we ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with Jesus on the holy mountain. This event, transfiguration of Jesus, witnessed by three men, very ordinary men, who later would taste of the actual resurrection of Jesus, who later were filled with, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And those three men and people throughout church history have said, I am willing to suffer, I am willing to serve, I am willing to love one another because I am so convinced of the glory that lies ahead. It's no coincidence that Moses and Elijah appear. They are part, if you want to say, of the spiritual who's who of the Old Testament. That they, even in the Old Testament, are key players in the unfolding redemptive plan of God. 
They were pillars of faith. Moses was a man to whom God revealed the Ten Commandments, the law. Elijah was a godly man and a faithful prophet. There were times in Elijah's life where he was like a lone voice, even within the context of God's people. And yet even when his life was in danger, he was steadfast, which is the name of the song that Josh sang during the offertory. He steadfastly called the people of God back to the one true God. And as I read this, I was thinking, these two men of faith, Moses and Elijah, whose earthly lives have already been lived, not only do they appear, but they are in conversation with Jesus. And if you look in Luke chapter 9, I was curious when I read it in Mark because it didn't say, I thought, well, what are they talking about? What are they in conversation about? And Luke chapter 9 says they're in conversation about what lies ahead for Jesus. They're in conversation about the cross and the resurrection. They thought about that our God is the God of resurrection. Our God, we sang this, has power. Our God has dominion over death. Our God has the keys to eternal life. And Peter, James, and John get a little glimpse of that in the transfiguration. When you read the story, it's obvious that they are overwhelmed by what they see. They actually don't know how to respond. And so Peter suggests that they should build something. And very often, we kind of choose to make fun of Peter. We assume that he was kind of impulsive. But I think what Peter was suggesting is not without merit. When you read the Old Testament, whenever God showed up in powerful, amazing, miraculous ways, the people often stopped and erected an altar to say, we will remember this place, we will remember this time, because God showed up and gave us protection, God provided for us, God showed up in power. So I think we have to cut Peter a bit of slack. And then it says Moses disappears. Elijah disappears. And only Jesus remains, and only Jesus undergoes this dazzling transformation and a voice comes out of heaven saying this is my beloved son Peter James and John you need to listen to him if Moses was the man to whom the law was given 
Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. That Jesus is our righteousness. We sang about that. Jesus is our holiness. Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. The best that law could do, the New Testament says, is point out the fact that we can't keep it. Elijah was one of many prophetic voices in the Old Testament. And Jesus is, was, still is, forever shall be the fulfillment of all those prophecies. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Be willing to deny yourself. Be willing to serve. Be willing to pick up your cross, whatever that cross that Jesus has given you in your life, pick it up and live it out. Why? Because we're destined for glory as children of God. Titus chapter 2, and it's, I don't know, well, I guess it's a translation. I have it in my office at church. It happened to be there when I moved in. It's simply called The Book, which is not a bad title for the Bible. And it says, we should live in this evil world with self-control. We should live with right conduct. We should live with devotion to our God while we look forward to that wonderful event when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And so Paul encourages the church, remain steadfast. Stand firm, persevere, and these disciples, including James, Peter, and John, and, and so many others throughout the history of the church, said, I will listen to Jesus, I will follow Jesus, even though it came at great personal cost. And if you ask the why, it's because they believe that the glory of the reward far outstrips everything this world has to offer. That the voice of the Spirit of God in their life drowned out the countless other voices that speak to us from within our culture. Paul said it this way in Corinthians 2 verse 9, says, you know what? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So God, count me in. I want my life to actually radiate that truth. Help us, I pray God, as a church to think of our life and our lives as an ongoing legacy of faithful obedience to the call of God. Because we're destined for glory. That there is a glory, a reward, a prize that is yet to be revealed to us. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 said this, So then... 
Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It's the call of the church family. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Chris said it this morning, it's kind of why we do what we do. To remind ourselves of who we are, and I think at times to remind ourselves of the glory that is yet to come, which we can only imagine. It's not an easy calling. It's to listen to a voice that is completely different to the other voices that talk to us often. And so I always believe we need to embrace this truth of who we are and our destiny in glory, to share literally in the glory of Jesus. We need to talk about and share that within the context of the family of God. This morning we're going to gather around the communion table. It's a reminder to us as children of God of the sacrifice of our redemption. Literally, the life of Jesus, Son of the living God, poured out so that we can have new life. And it's a life that the Spirit of God gives us that should empower us to say, God, I'm willing to live sacrificially. That's the voice of the Spirit of God whenever you respond to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, you're responding to the voice of the Spirit of God. And in communion it says we're going to keep on doing this. We're going to keep on remembering. We're going to keep on celebrating the Lord's supper, the Lord's table, until he comes again. And when he does, we will share in his glory. I'm going to pray, and then I'll ask Chris to come and help me down here, and Mike, if you can help at the top. Um, And so we'll take our time and come down and take the elements. Hold on to them. Uh, We'll give thanks, and then we'll take them as a church family. But uh, let's just pause in prayer. Heavenly Father, I I thank you that as we gather as your children, even sometimes, Father, in the songs we sing, you give us a taste, I believe, of the glory that lies ahead. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would convict us about how great that is. And Father, would we listen to your Spirit who then calls us to have our lives changed into the likeness and character of Jesus. And Father, we acknowledge we need your help for that. But Father, this morning we just say thank you for who you are. You are our God. You love us. So we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.